Hey friends, welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm your host, Angela Donatio, Bible teacher, author, and adventure junkie. Join me each week for compelling conversations with leading voices that encourage us to ground our worth in the word instead of the narrative of the world. Together, we'll discover miracles in life's messy moments and make our lives matter no matter what. Here's this week's episode. Well, welcome back to the podcast, guys. Today, I'm so honored to have with us Kelly Lester. Her story is one that covers so many difficult and painful topics in our world today. Everything from child molestation, she was raped as a teen, several abortions, drug dealing, eating disorders, homosexuality, pornography, prostitution, and even working in the clinic where she had her first abortion. Here's the, the the reality of the God that we serve. Beauty triumphs from ashes. And Kelly is a testament to how God can clean all the dirty parts of a painful life story and make it brand new. Now, Kelly is a wife and mother of six children. She loves to share her story to give hope to the most desperate situations, proving that God can and does save anybody. She's currently the director of outreach and government engagement for and the then there were none and pro love ministries. Kelly, I'm so honored to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the Make Life Matter show. Thank you, Angela. I really appreciate you having me on here. Well, we have some mutual friends. And, and earlier this year, I hosted Abby Johnson, yeah. who is the founder and director of And Then There Were None. So I know you work with her and uh, people loved her episode, the most listened to episode on the Make Life Matter podcast. And I know they're absolutely going to love hearing your story. So for people who don't know you, let's just dive right in. Sure. A lot of topics there. Let's see where the Lord leads. But tell us about your story from beauty, from ashes to beauty and the way now God is using you to inspire inspire hope. Yeah. So my story is a, it's a pretty crazy one. Um, you know, as a, as a child, I did grow up in a Christian home. My parents are still married. Um, but I, I never felt, um, like I was, uh, like I was safe and I, I had a lot of insecurity and a lot of anxiety, um, and a lot of shame, quite honestly, from the time of being a very, very young child, um, and then in middle school, I was picked on by kids. Um, and then high school, I the tide sort of changed. And I went from being this, you know, nerdy little kid that people made fun of to someone that people started to notice. But I still just didn't feel like I really felt felt fit in. And then um, at 12, I was a freshman in high school. I had some friends come over to my house and they wanted to sneak out and go to a party, which I had never done anything like that before. But I thought, OK, well, maybe, you know, this will be something fun to do. So I snuck out, went to the party and at the party was raped. And I told my friends and told people at school and told them who had done it. And nobody believed me because he was a very popular boy and I was not a very popular girl. And so they said, you know, why would he do that to you? He, he could have sex with anybody. And so, you know, I felt shame and I felt even more like I wasn't even worthy of that, you know? And then I went to my church and unfortunately my youth pastor was not very wise in her response. When I told her, she said, if you'd never gone to that party, that would have never happened to you. Mm. So again, I felt shame and felt like it was my fault. And, um, so I just started looking for love and looking for acceptance and I became very promiscuous mm -hmm. by the time I was 15, I was pregnant and my boyfriend's mom, we went and told her and she said, no problem. We'll take you and take, get this taken care of. 
So she took me to our local abortion clinic, dropped me off outside with a wad of money and said, I'll be back in a few hours to pick you up. And so I walked in at 15 alone and had my first abortion. Now, when I walked in, I was a straight A student. I was a nationally ranked tennis player. I was going to church. Anytime the doors were open, we were going to church. You know, we had home group in my house. Um, But when I left the shame and the guilt from what I had done, I knew that God couldn't love me. And so I turned to drugs and I turned to alcohol um, and I very quickly spiraled out of control. And like you said in my bio, bio, I mean, it was everything. You name it, you name the depravity, you name the way of trying to fill that void. I was doing that. I ended up running drugs up and down the East Coast for the Puerto Rican mafia. Um, You know, just every kind of thing. I was trying to just feel love and trying to escape from the pain. Well, that led me to several years later, I wanted to get out of that craziness. And so I was looking for a job and I looked in my local newspaper. And now that was 20 years ago when we still looked in newspapers for jobs. But I looked in my newspaper and saw that a local women's clinic was hiring. And I thought, okay, well, a receptionist, that's something I could probably do. So I went to the place and it was where I had had my abortion. Mm. And I walked in and filled out the application. They remembered me and they offered me $18 an hour to be a receptionist 20 years ago. And I thought, well, this is a job I surely can't refuse. And so I got hired as the receptionist. Um, And at, at the receptionist position, I had several roles that I was in charge of. One was the reception area, obviously makes sense. Um, But what I would have to do is edit magazines And what that means is in the magazine, if there were pictures of babies or pictures of happy couples or anything that might make this woman think, oh, I want that, you know, cue that motherly instinct, we would cut out that of the magazine. Oh, wow. And then the other part that we would do is when guys, because this was, this was in the state of Virginia, um, when there used to be a 24-hour waiting period. So the woman would come for her first appointment where they would go over the abortion and then 24 hours later come back for the actual procedure. Well, when he would come and bring her, we would turn the heat up very, very hot or turn the air condition on very, very cold so that he would be uncomfortable and he would leave. Because when she came out of that consultation, we didn't want him waiting for her because she might think, oh, look how he's supporting me in this. And we didn't want her to feel that way. And people ask me, they're like, Kelly, why would you do that? Like, surely you see that that's manipulation. Surely you see that that's, you know, controlling the narrative. Why would you do that? But you have to remember, I was one of those women. And so what it was phrased to me as was, now, Kelly, you know how hard this decision is. You know that this is her only option. And so we want to make this decision easy for her. And, you know, Angela, I was like, yeah, absolutely. This is a hard decision. We do want to help her in this decision. And I wanted to make myself feel better about my decision. So I tried, you know, misery loves company kind of thing. And so I would help encourage that. Then the other part of my job that was the worst part of my job was the recovery room. Now, remember, I had no medical training. I had very little receptionist training. 
And at that clinic, which is like most clinics, there was two options for your abortion. You could either do sedation or non-sedated. The sedation was a heavy sedation, twilight sedation, where they give you a cocktail of drugs. And we only charged $50 for that version. So everyone chose it because why wouldn't you? And we definitely encouraged it. So after that sedation, they are sitting in a room in chairs and I was the one that would have to release them from the doctor's appointment. I didn't take their blood pressure. I didn't do all of the things that you're supposed to do after that kind of sedation, handed them a cookie, a juice, their bag of clothes and sent them on their way, which is not healthcare, by the way, you know, yeah. against that argument. Yeah. We don't even do that at a dentist or anything else. Anywhere. Yeah. Your ears yeah. pierced, your tattoo parlor, exactly. anything, anything does more than that. Yeah. Um, but then what really bothered me was the number of women that were in that waiting room that were hemorrhaging because their uterus, uterus had been perforated or, or something had happened in the procedure that should not have happened. Now, again, if you're at the dentist or you're at your doctor and something like that happens, they would fix whatever the problem is. And then they would sit with you and discuss what had happened, why it may have happened, further complications you might see and what to do. We did not do that. We would take them in the back we would fix them up and we would send them on their way, never telling them what had happened. And because of the heavy sedation that they were under, they had no idea anything had happened to them. Wow. And I started there because I wanted to help women, but I thought this isn't helping women, you know? And I remember again, I had had an abortion there also. And so I thought, what happened to me? And I actually went and looked at my file. Thankfully, I did see the ultrasound picture of my baby, but I did not, there were no complications that were listed in my chart, which they may have been complications and they didn't list them because we weren't exactly great with that either. Sure. So I ended up leaving the abortion industry. I, I did, um, went back to drugs and went back to the old lifestyle. Cause that's kind of what I knew. It culminated several years later in new Orleans. Um, now I had several more abortions after that. Um, was in New Orleans and was in a, a relationship with a guy and it was a very violent relationship. And we decided that this relationship wasn't working, that it was time for me to come back to Virginia. And so we went out to party one last time to celebrate my leaving, I guess. I'm not sure why we did, but we went out and got drunk and got into a fight, which was the typical you know, process, came back to the apartment and the fight really intensified. And in the fights, either that day or an earlier day, I don't even remember, we had actually ripped the door off the hinges of the door frame. And so there was a point where we were fighting and then he's leaning over top of me and there was a board that was laying on the floor from the door frame. And he picks up the board and he goes to hit me over the head with it. And as he's like mid swing, he drops the board. He looks at me, he punches me in the face, blood goes everywhere. My nose breaks, you know, my eyes explode. And he's like, oh gosh, I've actually really hurt her. And so the fight stops. And the next morning I wake up and there are text messages and phone calls from my father, who is the last person you want to talk to after a night like that. And my dad's in Virginia, I'm in New Orleans. So I didn't call my dad back. But then 24 hours after that, we drove back to Virginia, my boyfriend and I with my stuff. As we arrived, my dad meets me and he gets out of the car and he's bawling. And I'm like, oh, dad, he's like, get in the car. And so I get in the car with him and he says, I'm like, dad, don't worry. You know, I was in a car accident. He's like, uh-huh. He said, two nights ago, I was asleep 
And in the middle of the night, the Lord, the Lord woke me up and I had a vision of you laying dead on the floor with your head split wide open. And so I began to pray. Now, I didn't tell my dad that at the time, but that moment when my dad had woken up was the moment when my boyfriend had dropped the board and the Lord literally saved my life from my father's prayers. Wow. Wow. So it took a few days, a few weeks for me to sober up, heal up, you know, and I'm sitting in my dad's church because my dad is a pastor and I'm sitting in my dad's church and he does the altar call at the end of the service. And I hear as clearly as I've ever heard anything. I hear God say, have you had enough? And I'm like, but God, I don't have anything. I don't have, you know, I don't have a good job. I don't have an education. I have, you know, all these things that I didn't have. And he says, Kelly, if you follow me, I will make beauty from ashes. And I'm like, but God, how do you make beautiful me being molested at three, which is why I was insecure as a child. How do you make beautiful me being raped at 12 and abortions at 15 and, you know, all the things that God already knew. How do you make that beautiful? And he just simply said it again. If you follow me, I will make beauty from ashes. And so slowly, bit by bit, that's what he began to do. I, not too long after that, married my husband um, and, you know, really got into a great discipleship group with women and learned about being a Christian and learned about being a woman, learned about God and how he loved me um, and began to realize that God was not disappointed in me. God did not, was not angry at me. God saw value in me and loved me. And I saw that in my friends. I saw that in the Lord. I saw that in my husband, how my husband loved me, laid down his life for me like Christ does the church, you know? And so slowly my heart began to soften and I began to question some of my beliefs, one of those being being pro-choice. But then I got pregnant again. And I saw my son in my ultrasound in my belly flipping around. And I thought, oh my goodness, I had an abortion at this stage. And then later on, as he's bigger and I see myself, thought, oh my goodness, I had an abortion at this stage. And as he's starting to move around, I'm like, oh my goodness. I, and I thought, what have I done? You know? And so then I began to get healing with my abortions and became poor life. And that then fast forward several more years, um, actually went to church with a great friend of ours, Lisa Potter, and, and she really mentored me um, in, um, you know, being a wife and a mother and still having purpose that because you become a wife and a mother, that doesn't mean that your hopes and your dreams and your destinies and callings end. It may look a little different, you know, but you still have those same visions that God has for you. And then we moved to Fredericksburg and a local pregnancy center, which you know very much about, um, was hiring for an event coordinator. So I got hired there and um, went to the Supreme Court for the March for Life and gave my testimony on the stairs there. And the wonderful director of that um, pregnancy center looks at me as I come down and he says, you are not the event director. You need to be telling your story. And so I wow. moved into outreach. And then fast forward a little bit further, and we were doing a fundraiser for the pregnancy center. And this movie, Unplanned, comes out, which is the story of Abby Johnson, which some of you may have heard of. If you haven't, you need to listen to the podcast and watch the movie. <laughs> um, but as I'm watching this movie on the screen, I thought, oh, my goodness, that's my story. Because, Angela, I would tell people about the rapes. I would tell people about the abortions. I would tell people about all the things. But the one thing that I never told people about was me working in the clinic. Because when I did tell people that there, there was shame, they would look at me with shame. And really? They would look at me so there was something oh. different there. 
Because we have to vilify somebody. Yeah, that's interesting. In the, in the pro-life, I mean, we don't want to vilify the women anymore. Thank the Lord that we yes, yes. That. But we have to vilify somebody. And the abortion doctors and nurses and people are the ones performing these. They acts. become the villain. That makes they that makes sense. And so mm-hmm. I never shared it. So there was this shame and this dark place that I knew I needed to get healing from. So I contacted and then there were none at the next March for life. And then went to my first healing retreat where the Lord revealed all kinds of things that I didn't even know 20 years ago that it happened that I was still carrying around. And then in February, I got hired with, and then there were none. And now just recently came on full time. And so I travel with them and and share my story and and help bring healing and hope because of my story. Um, And so, yeah, so that's. That's it. And it's a powerful story. It's a powerful story. I mean, you're here, you're alive, you, you're, you're, and you're not just survived, Kelly, but you're thriving and what God has for you. I know there are people listening who are wrestling with shame. And I'm just, I want to pause on shame for a minute because it is so powerful. It's what entered the garden and we have sin. And then sometimes we know we're forgiven from sin. We're not even in the sin anymore, but shame is kind of the one, two punch of the enemy or that we continue to walk in that shame, even well into you telling your story, you still had this kind of layer of shame. Talk to the women, Kelly, who are listening to you saying, I cannot get out from under shame. What, what advice, what encouragement do you have them? I know you said you went to a healing retreat. What's a step someone could take today if they're listening to you and realizing that they are being crippled by shame? Yeah. Well, I want to say to, if you are a believer and you are bound by shame, which many of us are, the devil cannot take your soul and he cannot take your eternal life because you believe in Jesus, but he can cripple you and your effectiveness in the kingdom of God through shame. And that's what he does. And so know that there it's more than just you that is bound up by your shame. It's other people that are bound by your shame because there are people that need you to be free so that they can get their freedom. And I think oftentimes we won't do stuff for ourselves, but we sometimes will do stuff for other people. It might be your husband. It might be your children. It might be women in your church. It might be the ladies on the, your kid's soccer team. You know, you don't know who you can affect with a, a, a good word or a story or a testimony. And when you have that shame, you don't do that. And so the ways to do that are a lot of ways. I, I did it first off by getting with a group of women in a small group and reading the Bible and replacing the lies that I believe myself with the truth of the Bible. That's the only way to do that. Um, you know, then I got into a bigger group of women and we talked about topics and I was vulnerable you know, and it has to be a place where you feel safe, but find that group of women where you feel safe, where you can be vulnerable and you can share those things that you've never shared with anybody, you know, and there are healing retreats for abortion. There are a lot of different, that's a wonderful thing that has happened is we have support after abortion and Rachel's vineyard. And she, I mean, there's all kinds of different great, um, post-abortive recovery groups where maybe there's not one at your church. Maybe, you know, you need to go outside of your church. Maybe you're supposed to start one at your church, you know, once you get healed. Um, But it may not be abortion. It may be domestic violence. It may be pornography. Women struggle with pornography. And that's like the biggest thing, which we have one. um, We have a 
a, a ministry that's part of pro-love ministries, which we'll talk about in a little while, that deals with women who struggle with pornography addiction. Um, you know, and so there's all these things that we get bound up in um, that the Lord wants to heal you from. And mm-hmm. so ultimately, how do you do it? You get his word in your heart. That's you right. Know, replace it with truth. Others, you confess to other people. And as soon as those words come out of your mouth, it's it, the light comes to the darkness and freedom begins. That's so good, Kelly, because the, that shame will keep the duct tape over our mouth. We won't talk about it and you can't heal what you won't confront and you won't allow the Lord to speak to those places. I think it was David that said, when I didn't talk about it, when I didn't let you in, my bones hurt. But you know, when I let you into these places that, um, and I love what you just said about, it's not just for us. It's not just for our own healing, but it's the places we need healed for others as well. I think far too many of us that call ourselves followers of Christ are still painfully bound by shame. And, and that keeps us from the full, you, you know, usefulness, um, to the kingdom of God and the freedom that he wants us to have and to walk in. Thank you for letting the, us know that there is freedom from shame and there are so many resources available. I will list some of those guys in our show notes, as well as some opportunities that you can connect with Kelly. Let's talk about the work you're doing now, Kelly, because you are working with, you know, government engagement. A lot is changing right now. You work with pro love, you work with, um, of course, Abby's, uh, organization, and then there were none. So talk to us about the work you're you're doing and how we could be involved. What What's currently happening? Uh, this episode airs in October. So there's a lot going on in October. So speak to what, what's currently the landscape, especially in the pro-life movement. Yeah. So this is one of the most important times in history, as far as the pro-life movement is concerned. I mean, obviously back in 1973, when Roe versus Wade happened, um, part of the reason that happened was because as the church, we did not stand up and say no. You know, we thought that was their problem as a Protestant. We thought that was the Catholic Church's mandate. And now look at where we are. And so right now we are um, getting ready in October, November. They're going to be seeing a case called the Dobbs versus Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi versus Dobbs, which is a case that could potentially overturn Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade is um, means that abortion is completely legal in all 50 states. Now, they, it does come down to states as far as regulation. So some states are have more regulation than others. We just recently saw the state of Texas pass the heartbeat bill. So after six weeks, women can no longer get an abortion in the state of Texas, which oh, wow. basically eliminates. Yes, abortion in the state what of a Texas. triumph, because you don't even um, really know you're pregnant until around six weeks. Most so people, you know, most people don't know at mo- like easiest four weeks, five weeks. They've got to get the money. They've got to, you know, so there's a lot of things that really make that difficult. Um, And there are other states that are following suit. Georgia is looking at following suit. Ohio is looking at following suit. So there are states that are going to be following in that footstep. But if this case passes, there are states that have already said, because they've attached Roe versus Wade to that. So basically when one gets passed, Roe versus Wade gets overturned automatically. It's just kind of the layman's terms, as much as I understand it. Um, there are states that have already said when that happens, abortion will become illegal in their state, which is amazing. But that does not mean that our work is over because in the state of Texas, for instance, there are 3000 abortions a year. So in the state of Texas, 
there are now all of those women who are going to be potentially parenting. And those women do not have resources. Those women do not have support. Those women do not have the things that they need to have an abundant life. We want people to have an abundant life, you know, and for myself with my story, there was no pregnancy resource center that I knew of coming beside me and saying, Hey, you can do this. Yes. You're 15. Yes. You want to go to college. We'll help you. You know, we'll help you so that you can continue to get your education. We'll help you talk to your parents and have this difficult. There was nobody doing that for me. You know, when I was, when I was 19 and I was drug addicted, there was nobody saying, look, we'll help you get off drugs so that you can parent or provide you resources. If you want to place your baby for adoption, there was nobody doing that. When I was 23 and and, in a domestic violence, there was nobody saying, look, we'll get you out of that and make sure that you're safe so that you don't have to, you know, I didn't have those resources. And so I felt like my only choice was abortion. And most women, women are having abortions. 75% of women say that they have abortions because they do not know how they're going to financially care for their child. Now that may be they're in a career and they're going to lose their career. That may be they're 15 and they don't have it. You know, there's all those different reasons that could play for that. Sure. So as the church, we need to be those resources to help those women and not to get political, but we need to stop asking the government to do it. That's right. Now, the government resources are great. They're a great safety net. And I'm not against that. But church, we've got to step up and stop allowing the government to be her husband. We need to be her husband. And that's more than just finances. That's community support. That's helping her with children. Um, so I currently go and, you know, back to what I'm doing with the government engagement, we are going to states and testifying on bills to help get bills passed. In April, I went to Tennessee and um, we testified to get the fetal remains bill passed, which is a huge deal because now women, when they go to have an abortion, are given the option, do they want the baby cremated or buried? Hmm. which brings humanity to the child, yes, yes. which is huge. It also costs the abortion provider money which is huge. Yeah. And one of the other things that people didn't think about, but that I brought up was it allows the fathers to have a place to mourn and it allows the grandmothers. And if there are siblings Mm -hmm. after the fact, there's now a place to mourn and it allows that woman after the fact to hopefully get some kind of healing because she knows her baby's not in a trash can. Wow. And, you know, those kinds of things that people, again, that's that shame thing, you know, it helps eliminate some of that shame. Yes. You made a bad decision, but you know, God, God redeems bad decisions. Oh, absolutely. Um, the book so, is, the Bible is full of bad decisions and, so, and the redemptive power of God. And you're actually sharing things with us, even though I'm very heavily involved in the pro-life space, you're sharing things that I'm not aware of, like the manipulation that takes place in these abortion centers or these things like the fetal remains bill that can, that can humanize these lives and, and help women, men, the fathers that have no rights in these situations. So guys, if you're not familiar, Kelly is bringing to light some things that maybe, you know, we either don't know, or we don't understand, or we are just ignorant to. And uh, all of these things are critical components of abortion care, um, you know, care to women who are abortion vulnerable, those who've already had an abortion. Um, We need to be responding to all sides of this and, uh, and not just, 
you can't have an abortion and we're going to shame you. I mean, I, I grew up in a day when, you know, we wouldn't dedicate a baby that was born out of wedlock. Well, you know, we're going to have to pick our, pick our battles here and you're not going to be able to um, adequately love people and bring them from places of, like you said, a bad decision and, and help them to feel loved, cared for, valued by a God who sees them and knows them and wants the best for them and wants them. So we have to come alongside of women, men, families in very tangible, practical ways beyond what we have done in the past as a church. Talk about pro-love. How can they be involved in it and how can they connect with you, Kelly? Sure. So there's two ministries that I work for that Abby founded. One is, and then there were none, which is a very specific ministry that is to to abortion workers. You can get to that through um, abortionworker.com or prolove.com. And that is amazing. People are like, why would you minister to abortion workers? Well, because they're children created in the image of God too, first off. And secondly, when abortion workers leave, abortion clinics close. And so, and thirdly, when abortion workers come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we become mighty warriors for him. So right. there's a good lot of reasons why we do it. <laughs> That's but, right. Um, so we've had 600 workers leave the industry. I was actually in Texas over the weekend. We had our quitters fall, which that's what we call abortion workers that have oh. left quitters. And we had over 50 quitters all together in a room. It was wow. the spiritual warfare was crazy uh, um, yeah. over it, but man, it was so powerful to have all of us standing there saying we left. And you can leave too. So that's the one ministry that we have. The other one is called ProLoveMinistries.org. And that's an umbrella ministry for the pro-life movement. We have projects that are things that we have started. One is called Check My Clinic, which is a great resource if you're a sidewalk advocate or if you're a pregnancy center and you have a girl who is determined, I'm going to have this abortion. Tell her to check my clinic and she can go on there and she can see the health report from the abortion clinic that she's going to. Hmm. And it's not us saying, hey, they did this. It is the actual health report where she will see the infractions Hmm. that happened. Um, There's hurt after abortion where we will get legal compensation for women that have been injured. Loveline is our big project, which is a 24 hour case management crisis line. And so for those women that are in crisis, that are in the domestic violence or the homeless or the 15-year-old girl that don't know where to go, or again, if you're a pregnancy center and you don't have financial resources, or if you're a church member and you have this girl and you don't know where to send her, you can send her to Loveline and we will walk with her and we will make sure to get her yeses. And if we can't find yeses in her local resources, we will be her yes, because we know that when women feel loved, they choose life. And so that's what we want to do with that. The other side of um, Pro Love Ministries are affiliates. So these are separate 501c3s that have kind of niche type ministries. So we have one for women who've been raped. We have one that helps teach Christians how to educate their children on sex. It's a formal, former Planned Parenthood sex educator, Monica Klein, who talks to parents about sex and how to, you know, how to talk to your children about that. Um, We have one for women who struggle with pornography. We have um, one that's an abiding love adoptions. So it's an adoption program that focuses on the biological mothers and making sure that they're supported. Um, We have, but it's all like, there's a whole bunch. I could talk to you for, you know, 45 minutes about that. So if you're looking for a way to get involved, or if there's something that you're like, I need this resource and I can't find it. If you go to proloveministries.org, you're likely to find it there. 
I love it. I'll put both of those links, prolove.com and proloveministries.org. And Kelly, they can connect with you on Facebook. Your Facebook page is there. Kelly Lester, L-E-S-T-E-R. She can speak for you, share her story. You hear how powerful it is. We've just touched the surface because there's a lot we wanted to cover today. And so many different ways women can receive healing and men and families. So we don't have to be suffering silently. We don't have to be suffering in shame. We can receive help and redemption. So I want to ask you a question, Kelly. I know you're going to pray for us in just a moment, I, but I'm always curious to know the answer to this question. And you've already talked about it's the word of God that removes the lies that we believe. But other than Jesus, what person in the Bible has most inspired you to make your life matter? Maybe someone you can't wait to meet in heaven or a question that you want to ask them, Kelly. So that's super easy. <laughs> Esther. Oh, good. Ah, Esther. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that always just reminds me, you know, every time I'm like, oh gosh, why am I doing this? Or how, you know, when, when actually when the recent presidential election, because you know, obviously my, my world is pro-life stuff. And so Joe Biden is not pro-life. And so when he got voted in, I went to, I texted Abby and I was like, well, now the work starts. And she's like, yep. And I said, we've been elevated to the palace for such a time as this. Um, so, you know, that's, I feel like that's kind of the season that I'm in. Um, and she was such a, a remarkable, went through trials and struggles and abuse and taken from her home and, you know, and she still went before the King and was bold. So, um, I am looking forward to meeting her. I can understand that. I want to meet her as well. She's a powerful, (laughs) powerful resource. And she exercised the power of choice. I think that word choice has been so abused and so hijacked, but we have the power of choice and that is to live free and to live without shame. But we have to be willing to accept the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. And And Esther had that community of people that prayed for her and fasted for her and believed with her. So thank you, Kelly. Thank you for your voice. And I I want to ask you to pray over us for just a moment, but I want to read today's truth that matters, which is from Psalm 139 verses 13 through 18. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I'm awake, I'm still with you. So Kelly, thank you for reminding us of that today, that before we were born, God knew us. He redeems every part of our story. And I know your story has brought hope and life and encouragement to so many that have listened to us today. And I just want to invite you to pray over our listeners as we close. Thank you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you that um, that you do know us, that you have known us from the beginning and you will know us to the end. And God, I just lift up any woman right now who is um, in a um, an unplanned pregnancy, God, that you would let her know that not only is the baby inside of her known, but that she is known, that you are El Roi, you are the God that sees and that you see her and you have purposes and plans for her. And God, I pray for any woman who is listening or any man who is listening, who may have facilitated in an abortion or had an abortion, God. And I just ask that you would bring healing to those places 
that they would know that you were with them even in that dark place and that you want to see them free and healed and whole and that you have purposes for them and plans for them and that you are not disappointed in them, but that you love them. And God, I pray for any church leaders that may be listening to this, God, that you would um, show them how to help their church body be a church that embraces life, how to be a church that that celebrates women and encourages women, but also speaks identity over women so that they do not need to seek love in all the wrong places like I did, God, but that they can seek love in you and wholeness in you so that they never get pregnant in the first place. But if they do God, that they can go to them because it is a safe place. God, I thank you for Angela and for all that she's doing. God, I just pray that you would continue to bless the work of her hands. God, we do pray for our government. We ask that you would end abortion. We pray for the Supreme court, that there would be boldness and that they would be mighty like lions standing for life and for truth. God, end abortion. We repent and ask that you would heal our land. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at cpnshows.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at angeladenadio.com. Facebook at Angela Donatio VOV and Instagram at Angela Donatio. Until next week, let's make life matter.